Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast. You're on Westwood One. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here as well. We would love it if you would join us. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can do that. Email the program. Let us know what you think about what we think. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We just wrapped up our program for CRTV, which you can get access to by using promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, and that'll get you a reduced discounted subscription to all the shows we have here at CRTV. By the way, we want to say thank you for helping to make uh, our Facebook Live coverage of the State of the Union one of the most watched in the country. I mean, we beat some big-time heavy hitters, Huffington Post, CBS News, USA Today, etc. Could not have done it without you, so thank you to all of you. And now, if you want to say, hey, I want to become a full-time CRTV watcher, promo code DACE is one way you can do it. Yeah, we've we've got other promo codes here, but we kind of like it if you use ours because then we get the credit for it. I ain't too proud to beg. So promo code DACE at CRTV.com and you'll get access to all the shows we have here at CRTV, uh, including the great one, Mark Levin, Stephen Crowder, Michelle Malkin, and more. All the shows we've ever done available to you too. Plus we have monthly discounted or monthly subscription options aside from the annual discount. So if a monthly subscription is more in your budget, we have those as well. So as we wrapped up today's television show, gentlemen, let's give the audience a preview of what is to come. Todd, I'll start with you. What stood out? Well, if the uh, uh, NAACP has enough uh, time, energy, resources to focus on the fake racism is that is uh, global warming and its impact on uh, the community you claim to be fighting for, the simple fact is there probably isn't nearly as much of the real racism going on that you claim to be in existence to fight. Hmm. And the amount of hot air coming out of that woman's mouth probably accounts for a triple or quadruple of the amount of global warming <laughs> the United States has ever been responsible for nice. at all. Nice. nice. Again, promo code DACE at CRTV.com is how you can watch. And, hey, if you're not subscribing to the podcast yet here on iTunes or Stitcher, please consider doing so. And thank you to those of you who have. If you haven't yet sent us a positive review, those really do help. Thank you to the hundreds of you that already have. But please keep those coming because people do... Take a look at those. They do say, hey, this has got 10 uh, good reviews. This has a few hundred. This must be more more popular, so I'm going to you know, give my time to try this one out. That's how you can help us help get the word out to more people just like you. All right, it is a Theology Thursday, and we're going to tackle another topic suggested by one of our listeners. Her name is Michelle Bradshaw. This, this email is a little long, but it brings up several, I think, important points for us to discuss on a Theology Thursday. Michelle writes, like it or, fa- like it or not, fair or not, to many in the culture, we as Christians are tethered to Trump in the eyes of many who are spiritually lost. Thanks to the crafty media, Trump's own comments, and the actions of some prominent religious leaders who have not been content to simply vote for him, but have found it prudent to promote him and defend him as well, he has become our champion in the minds of many who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Considering what our purpose as Christians is supposed to be, how does this relationship affect our ability to reach the lost? I'm torn. I never really liked Trump, and I still find the man repulsive very often. I feel Christians are being manipulated and used to lift him up and keep him in power, and I find it distracting and burdensome. Much of what we are thankful to him about in his administration 
are for his own comforts, more money in our pockets, which could be used for good, protection from persecution, etc. However, if we somehow manage to do something to prevent the murder of unborn children because of the attention he brings to the cause, however sloppy and insincere it may sometimes appear, then that is something to really rejoice over. So my question is this, considering his baggage, his need for praise and affirmation, and the influence the media has with the perceptions of the culture, how do we maintain our place in politics without diluting our true purpose and spoiling our message? How do we best make a lost world see Christ and not the spoiled, self-serving, hypocritical Christians we often are? Does turning the other cheek to persecution do more to advance the cause, as it did in the case of Stephen or Paul and Silas, or should we pick up the jawbone of an ass and rejoice when we grow government as long as it's to protect our own interests? Should we look to the government to protect and take care of us, or should we simply do what we know to be right and trust God to use it for good? Lately, I've heard a lot of Christian leaders and even Jewish ones saying it's time for Christians to fight back, but is it? I've always believed that vengeance belongs to God and our apologetics should be reserved for defending the faith, not our own interests. I've always enjoyed your programming and since the start of the new year, I believe it's not only gotten better, but greatly needed in the culture. Between the three of you, you often make me see things I hadn't considered, so I look forward to your insights on my question and hearing you continue to dig into this complicated issue. Thanks for what you do, Michelle Bradshaw. So there's a mouthful there, but... The reason I wanted to share it all in context, I think, whether you agree or disagree with how she characterizes things, all of the questions she brings up are an important consideration. I want to get each of you guys' initial response to the dilemmas that Michelle articulated before we dig a little deeper. Aaron, I'll start with you. I think the central question is how do we live live out our faith in a country where, whether we like it or not, Donald Trump represents us, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm gleaning that correctly from the kind of the central question, the central, um, central problem of, of, that, um, of that letter. And I, I would say, work out your faith with fear and trembling, and God's mercies are new every morning. It looks... You, you made a comment on one of our Facebook posts yesterday, Steve, about how the comments contained therein are just an indication of what it's like to try to follow the truth nowadays. It's going to look different, I think, every day. Um, but what you cannot do... Not the truth, but how to follow it. How saying. to follow it, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think the best thing to do... Um, Search out your faith with fear and trembling. Um, remember that God's mercies are new every morning. And then also, never, ever, ever fear man. I think those are the three things. I think it's pretty simple. It's not easy, but I think it's pretty simple. Unfortunately, because we're humans, we're not going to stand up to that every day. I don't think we're going to fit those three criteria every single day but in this context i think that's about as best as we can try to do todd your thoughts yeah uh, well instantly i I got to think of how you've implored uh our audience multiple times recently uh that navigating this there is no clear cut connect the dots path so we must be patient with one another as we inform our conscience and how to live in this age that's my first thought uh uh, so even at the end of this uh we might end up offering uh some insight to uh both the letter writer here and the rest of our listeners but it'll still be every bit as complex an issue then i i go to instantly well how do we make things as easy as possible out of the gate i say render unto caesar what is caesar's and render unto gods what is god's you need to have a a a close open hand closed hand uh philosophy on what those things mean okay easier said than done how do you do that my last thought in, in terms of an initial reaction is you need to inform yourself on the cardinal virtues and how uh, other great uh, minds throughout the past have thought about those uh, fortitude, temperance, uh, prudence, and justice. You have to know what those 
terms mean. Uh, they aren't abstractions. Uh, every time we try to create them anew out of uh, 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 new cloth, you know, we we already hamstring ourselves because a lot of this has been worked out for us. So we need to educate ourselves on how uh, thinkers, philosophers, theologians have done this in the past so we aren't just getting, you know, drinking from a fire hose. You guys made a lot of really good points. And um, this topic comes up a lot in the worldview class I teach with the junior and senior high schoolers. Not junior high schoolers, they're juniors and seniors in high school, I should say. And um, this year in our worldview class, I'm taking them through the entire narrative of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. And Oh, just that? <laughs> Notice I didn't say the entirety of the Bible, the narrative, okay, the meta-narrative of the scriptures. And um, we just made our transition to the New Testament, or we're about to, and this past week I did a lecture on introduction to the New Testament. What happened in the, in the hundreds of years between the Old and the New Testament? And one of the things our students hear me say a lot is text without context is pretext. I'm constantly adding the context. And one of the things I used as an analogy to show them why that's important is I know many of them are Star Wars fans like we are. And where the First Order came from, who this Snoke guy is, it doesn't really make that much sense when you just watch the movies. But see, if they put all that stuff in just the movies, then you wouldn't buy all the books too. But if you've read the Aftermath books and things of that nature that provide the, you played the game Battlefront 2, which has the whole storyline of what happened between Return of the Jedi and, and The Force Awakens, the context helps you to appreciate and make a lot of it make more sense. And it was funny, I'm gonna, this is where I'm gonna do you a solid talk because uh, this is where I'm going to grant your side of the Reformation's arguments point. One of the things I listed the sources of that we were going to use for the sake of acknowledging or the sake of citing the history of what happened between the, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, when Matthew picks up with the genealogy of Christ. And, <clears throat> and one of the things I mentioned was First and Second Maccabees and what I called acknowledged history. And of course, I had more. I had specific references to Josephus, the uh, well-respected Jewish historian of antiquity, etc. And they asked me, "What's this?" And then my students asked me, "What is this acknowledged history? Where does it come from?" I said, "Well, some of it comes from academic sources of what we know, but a lot of it comes from um, traditions that have been passed on through the history of the faith, largely preserved by the Catholic Church." And this, my students, all of them evangelicals, asked me, well, why are we using their sources? I said, because they're right. <laughs> okay? Because they were right. We, one of the things we've done with, as evangelicals is, if we were, I would argue that we have the correct position in not putting tradition on the same footing as the scriptures. If I didn't believe that, I'd, I'd be Catholic. I don't agree with that. That's why I'm an evangelical. But, but I think we've gone so far, and we have removed much of the intellectual background and gravitas of our faith by, by ejecting essentially all of the tradition at the same time. And so when, when we run into something like the advent of radical Islam in our day, where we, evangelicals were often fumbling around in the darkness, like, how do we do this? We've never seen this before. Uh, yeah, we did. John from Damascus faced this in the seventh century at the advent of, of the rise of Islam. He debated yeah. Muslim scholars all around the fertile, all throughout Europe in the Fertile Crescent. Now, if, you've, if, you, if, you have, if you have an Orthodox Catholic and you have, been, have an advanced catechesis, you heard Todd, yeah, you probably got taught that a long time ago. I, got, I, can, I can hear evangelicals across America Googling John of Damascus as we speak, never heard the name in their lives. And so, to me, it, it's one thing to make the argument that tradition is the same as the Scripture, it's another thing to say, however, we need no context for our faith at all. I don't agree with that either. Paul quotes from Virgil. We think he quotes from the book. Is it Jude we think that quotes from the book of Enoch? These are things yep. that aren't in the scriptures. Why are we, why are they, why are, why, why then are Jude and Paul quoting from them to provide context to the audience that they were communicating to at the time? And we lack much of this context. 
And so one of the things that's happened as this relates to Michelle's question for American Christians, because we lack much of the historical context of our faith, we think we're the first generation of Christendom who's ever faced these sorts of dilemmas before. And we're not. There is nothing. Are we solo scriptor or not? Good. So it doesn't it say there is nothing. Underline that word there in Ecclesiastes. Doesn't say there's a few things. There's some things. I'm sure we'll find a few later on. No, it says there is nothing, nothing new. But Trump? <laughs> nothing new. No, but uh, no, 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 no. Nothing new under the sun. What we are facing in our time, even, even the government attempting, uh, well, not in its current environment, and I thank God for that and for the decisions President Trump is making along those lines, but under the previous president, weaponizing government against Christianity, nothing new, guys. Paul didn't get beheaded because he lost a random drawing. This is nothing new. It's new to us as American Christians. One, because really we live in a society that for the first time in the history of the Christian faith was founded by some generic notions of our precepts and dominated by some generic you know, beliefs and, and, and sects of Christianity. So it's new to us as a, as a people. But in the history of Christism, that large cloud of witnesses the writer of Hebrews talks about, that large cloud of witnesses that has come before us down the road here, they have seen this a million times over, guys. There's nothing new under the sun. And even the problematic linkage, I'm sure, people sat around in the 4th and 5th century and said, I don't know about this Constantine guy. I don't know, that's kind of a convenient conversion here, guys. He's fighting a losing war, suddenly sees Jesus in the sky and says, you should be nice to Christians. And all of a sudden, he's like, wow, I've got a lot more potential soldiers here. I, there's nothing new under the sun. We have to acknowledge that first. If we don't acknowledge that first, we're going to overreact to the situation we're in now. Okay? And I don't want us to do that. That's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Secondly, the, the questions about linking the faith with Trump exist about linking the faith with anybody. Because of my job, media appearances I've been asked to make, you know, I'm not, up, I'm not up there in terms of being on television and around the country and as, as a voice of Christianity up there with a Franklin Graham or anybody of that magnitude, but I have been given an audience to represent a Christian viewpoint. 99% of you have not. Have I ever made you cringe? I know I have. Have I ever made you think, uh, yeah, that's probably not the best way to communicate something there for a sold out believer? You follow me around? You know everything I'm doing at night? Do you think there's anything I could possibly be doing or seeing or watching that would make you think, eh, that's probably not the most... I, I can tell you there is. I'm not perfect. So on one level, anybody, anybody that God would raise up to be any kind of representative or champion, and I'm not saying that's what Donald Trump is. Again, I'm addressing the larger point. The point is bigger than Trump. On some level, because here's how the Trump debate has evolved. It has evolved from we have to compromise our moral standards to bootlick Trump, which how many people did we alienate because of how many shows and how, and how many columns and how many media appearances I made pushing back with mass prejudice against that, guys? How many? Can we yeah, count that almost, high? Yeah, almost all. Yes, but now the conversations evolve to we can't acknowledge and thank Trump for doing good because he once did bad. That's not Christianity either. Christianity is not because you once did bad or you're even doing bad now. You can do no good. It is in spite of the fact you're bad, God can make you good. That's Christianity, guys. Recognizing that is also prudent. Yes. Temperant. Yes. Just. Yes. And courageous. Preach. Yes. So, at any point, if we link ourselves, forget Trump a moment. He's bringing this debate to bear, which I think is good, but it's a bigger debate than Trump. As my buddy Bob Vanderplatz likes to say, aim higher. Think higher. Bring me out. Okay, I've not been divorced three times. I've been open and honest and about my struggles with sexuality and those things in the past. I'm also the guy 
that almost blow up, blow up his entire career making a stupid joke on Twitter with 20 million people watching during a, vi- a presidential debate two years ago. And so, okay, throw me out there. Hey, aren't you the guy that said Carly Fiorina was, went, quote, full vagina? Why should we listen to you? You're right. That was me. I was the idiot. I was the moron that did that. And watched Fox News attempt to take down the Ted Cruz campaign all the, all the next day by, with, with my stupidity. You're right. So pick somebody else. Weren't you the guy or gal that did the fill in the blank? Weren't you? The, okay, get rid of him. Pick somebody else. Weren't you the guy or gal that, you're right, fill in the blank, throw him away. Get somebody else. We're just going to keep playing this all day long. St. Peter, weren't you the guy Jesus looked at and said, get behind me, Satan, why should we listen to you? You're right, I'm out, done, finished. Throw in Paul. Weren't you the guy who held the the clothes of the people who martyred St. Stephen? Why are you, you're right, I'm out, done, finished. Well, just keep playing this game. When does it stop? The only way to win the game is not to play. Jesus didn't say by their perfect systematic theology you will know them. Jesus didn't say by their hyper morality you will know them. Is it important to have a system a proper rightly divided systematic theology? Is that important? Yes. Yes. Is it important to live as best we can by the moral precepts God has laid out for us? Is that important? Yeah. Yes. But that's not the standard to decide, ultimately, where someone stands spiritually. It's by their fruit you will know them. The reason why my stupidity about what I said about Fiorina didn't destroy my career is because, one, I admitted my own stupidity. I admitted I was dead wrong, man, and apologized. Humility that Trump lacks. Two, it didn't really line up with typically how I've done most of my career. So people didn't go and say, and this is, and this reminds me, you and I used to have a coworker at the Des Moines Register, Tom Witoski, great reporter. This was his game. His game was whenever he had the new scoop of what you had just done wrong, the lead paragraph was always a resetting of the timeline of all the other stuff you did wrong. (laughs) Right, and this happened in 1984, and then this is, and then, then, and then, and now we've learned. Right, that's a very Paulian way. It's how St. Paul made his arguments: the preponderance of the evidence, mm-hmm. and then you go for the close. Well, since there, there's not 15 other examples of me making a clown out of myself that way, there's a million examples of me making a clown out of myself, but not that way. It didn't line up in the context with how I've handled my business and my career, and so people are like, "Dude, just lost his mind." If that had been the third, fourth, or fifth offense I had made, I'd have been gone. But since there was enough fruit in my life to indicate, dude ain't perfect, that was really bad. But it's why, it's why when I called Ted Cruz up and said, throw me under the bus, you're getting killed today on Fox, it's all my fault, throw me under the bus, I deserve it, and we're still buddies, and I'll forget, and and, and I and you and I'll never hold it against you. You got to go win an election. You know what he said? I know you. That's not who you are, and you're better than that. So you're gonna sit here and take your lumps, and then we'll get over this. That's why I survived it. The problem with Trump's outlandishness and outrageousness is, you're kind of like that's who he is. And you know, and that's where hearts get hardened because he doesn't practice any humility at all. Any humility at all. That's what makes this a difficult conversation where Trump is concerned. And that's why I I think we need to see the larger narrative first before we specifically talk about Trump. Because on some level, anybody that we would allow to speak for us is going to be problematic. I mean, guys, the standard of adultery is if you have looked at a woman with lust in your heart, do you know how many times I have committed adultery by that standard? I can't count. Millions. Millions. And I'm not alone. That's why I need a savior. So 
we can't sit there and automatically say the world won't like this person so we can't use them the world hates christ it suppresses the truth in its unrighteousness that's why paul writes the wrath of god is revealed upon mankind if we send somebody soft-spoken, they're going to say, that person is really weak, and I'm just, you know, they don't seem really like they're that convicted. If you send somebody passionate, they will say, that person really comes off as confrontational and nasty. If you send a female, they will say, well, you know, um, I'm, I'm not really into um, egalitarian constructs. If you send a male, they will say, well, you know, that's the heteronormative patriarchy. They will come up with an objection and an excuse. Don't play the game. You won't win. Because no one is good but God. No one is good enough to be, the, to be the ambassador. No one is good to be the spokesperson. No one is. So that's, that's a separate argument before you even talk about Trump. If we go in right in from the outset saying, whom will they listen to? You know, Jesus tells a parable of Lazarus in hell. And he begs God to let him out so he can go warn his loved ones that hell is real and not to follow in his footsteps by, by being banished there forever. And the parable ends with saying, well, if they didn't believe a deliverer who came down the mountain with stone tablets, the literal writing, handwriting of God himself, and if they didn't believe the God literally in human form himself who rose himself from the dead, I doubt they're going to believe some random guy from hell. See my point? No one we will pick will be good enough because people don't want to believe. They don't want to. They don't want to give up what they like about the sins they enjoy. And neither did we. That's why we had to be broken. We had to come to the end of ourselves. We had to realize where our sinful desires, how far down the rabbit hole goes, and that's what brings us to our knees. There's a reason our churches are full the day after 9-11. And then on September 12, 2002, 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 17 18, not quite as full. Why? Because the day before brought us to our knees. Since then, you know, we're back up on our feet. We got this thing. Thank you. Now, that we've settled, any, are you guys okay with how I've de dealt with this is an overarching question. Oh, yeah, better yeah. than okay. Yeah. Now, with Trump, there are problems, but I don't think it's the problem a lot of people think it is. It's not that he is an adulterer. It's not that he's a known fornicator. It's not that he, we know he's profane. It's that he's unrepentant. You don't even get a you don't even get a Jimmy Swagger. I have sinned against you. You get at every accusation, you get a Khrushchev like table pounding. You know, I'm watching what's happening at Michigan State right now, and while I cannot excuse what is alleged about how the basketball coach Tom Izzo handled their business, I'm actually more empathetic to him as a leader than I am the football coach Mark D'Antonio. D'Antonio comes out, pounds the fist a few times, says, basically, how dare you? Don't you know how righteous I am? I'm the guy that thanked the Lord for giving us his favor so we could beat Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game three years ago. How dare you doubt me? Izzo's out there. You can see the conviction on him, man. You can see it. You can see he's like, what did I get my, why did I let this happen? What? You can see that he's trying to figure out how to express remorse and sympathy without literally saying I'm guilty of everything. I'm more empathetic with that. I sense a spirit of repentance happening here. He just can't figure out how to do it. And he can't bring himself quite to do it in a way that doesn't maybe fully implicate himself, which we tend to do that as human beings too. D'Antonio's the guy out there going Gary Hart. Remember when Gary Hart, when we were kids, said, yeah, I'm not having an affair with Donna Rice. Follow me around. And they followed him around. What did the media find? He was having an affair with Donna Rice. <laughs> All right. Okay. So... You know, there's a reason why Christ says two guys go to the temple. One guy looks at all the rabble around him, the sinners around him, and says, thank God I'm not like the rest of these people. A sinner goes there and beats his fist against the chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me. Which one is saved? The one who asks for mercy, because it is not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. 
The issue with Trump is not his behavior. The behavior is an issue because the man is not a man of repentance. He says, I've never done anything wrong, so why should I ask God for forgiveness? I drink the little cup and I have the little wine. Those are the problems. And, and it, gets, it gets exacerbated by Christian leaders who play fluffer duty to Trump as opposed to calling him to repentance. That's the issue. That's the issue. Because the same Paul that looks at a false teacher and says, you are a child of the devil, is the same one that points his finger at the church and says, yes, it is true, liars, thieves, adulterers, fornicators, homosexuals, murderers, these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, but such as once were some of you. Meaning, aside from Christ, you're all one of these things. Maybe, maybe it's all of the above. That's what's missing. What's the opening, what's, the, what's essentially the opening preamble of Luther's 95 Theses? I could sum it up in one line. All of the Christian life is a life of repentance. Jesus says to his followers, how many times should you forgive? Basically tells them to infinity. John writes, the apostle John writes, we love because what? God first loved us. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not uh, only some people, if they call on the name of the Lord, not if you do it you know, between uh, Thursdays and Fridays, between 10 and 2. Uh, well, there's a cap on how many times you can call the name. Have you done that? Maybe they just don't care. No. Within the law of God, mercy is infinite. But if you attempt to get God to change his law to grant you mercy... That's a negatory. What's the difference? One is repentance and the other is not. That's what's lacking with Trump specifically. That's what makes him difficult as a champion. And we better learn how to draw this distinction. We are in a generation now where the amount of people we're going to be able to pick to represent us to the culture who were virgins on their wedding night and married someone just like that, who have a perfect search history on their computer or iPad, a fully developed systematic theology, is shrinking, guys. Shrinking. And you know what? That number was never big. That's a, that's a fairy tale we have told ourselves. The first words of the new covenant are written by a crook. A crook named Matthew. Such as once were some of you. Jacob's name in Hebrew means schemer. He's not a good dude, guys. He's scheming in line all the way through the book of Genesis. He's also the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Because God wants to show how he can mend the broken through us. Now, that doesn't mean we look at the spiritual maturity of who we align as leaders, right? That doesn't mean those things are not important. They, they are but we often look at spiritual maturity as and through human eyes. What seminary did you go to? How many years of experience do you have? Huh. What seminary did Timothy go to? Do you know? How old was Timothy? Maybe about Aaron's age. Paul put him in charge. His ways are not our ways. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he's called. He gets to determine who's qualified and who's not. So, on one level, anyone we would choose to represent us to the lost is good to have read in their ledger that the lost can use to exploit to their advantage. Anybody. Anybody. Why the hell are you listening to Augustine lecture you about sexual purity when the dude was in a sex cult last week? Having intercourse with who knows what inanimate objects. Who knows? 
Again, you don't even envision the vileness that was going on there. And now, now we have St. Augustine's holistic view of the theology of the body. He has no qualifications. One of his most famous sayings is, Lord, make me chaste, yes. but not yet. Yes! He, he has no qualifications. Because it's not about Augustine, guys. It's about the God who changed him. It's about him. The problem with Trump is, you know, I've used this word picture many times in messages I've given. There is a master potter in a village. There's never been a better one. And his, his renown is known throughout the kingdom. He can put anything back together. And a young boy one day brings him a keepsake from his mother who passed away. And it's been broken into several shattered, tattered pieces. And he's come on a long journey to this master potter because he has heard from where he even came from that this is the one who can put anything broken back together. Day after day after day, the master potter puts all these broken pieces of clay on his wheel. And every time he thinks it has it back perfectly together the way it was intended, it crumbles again. It cracks again. It breaks again. It falls again. He thinks, maybe I have finally met my match. Maybe I have finally found the one pot of clay, the one broken pot I cannot put back together. I just can't, I can't get all the cracks. Even when it stands on its own, all the cracks are still visible. They're still there. Then one day he has an idea. He has it back together solid enough that it will stand on its own, but the cracks, again, are still visible. He can't smooth them out. And when he puts it in the window, he notices when people come by, they don't see the, that the whole thing has been put back together. What do they see? They see the cracks, the blemishes. So it's like, I, I, I need them to see the bigger picture here. So one day he lights a candle and he puts it inside of this pot. And now as the people walk by, they don't see the blemishes and the cracks. They see the light shining through the blemishes and the cracks instead. You smell what the rock is cooking here? Okay. We can all see the cracks and blemishes on Trump. By golly, they're, more, they're far more obvious than the cracks and blemishes that we, have our, that we see in ourselves. And he broadcasts them every day in front of a camera to, million, to billions. He puts them on his Twitter account every day. Half the time, it's like if Mr. Bean and Commander McBrag had a kid, this is what it would look like. The problem is there's no light there shining through the cracks because there's no repentance there. So all we see are what? Cracks, blemishes. Brokenness. Yeah, we just see brokenness. We don't see any lights. That's the issue with Trump. That's why we're so divided as a church community over this question. That's why some Christian leaders, and not all of them are, that, are, that are doing this for him are sellouts, their conscience compels them. They know that more character is expected of our leaders. So they feel this subconscious desire to build his character up beyond what it actually is. And on a frequent basis, he doesn't reinforce their case for them. And they end up clowning themselves. So separate the, the, separate the difficulty of applying our faith to Trump from the general question here because there's a difficulty applying our faith to anybody the faith has ever been applied to because <laughs> we all have cracks and blemishes the hope though is that there's a light in there that shines through those cracks and blemishes there is no such light with trump 
And that's what, that's what makes it problematic. It is not problematic to associate our faith with a worldly figure. All of us are worldly figures. The problem is associating it with one who clearly has unresolved and unconfronted brokenness. And instead of resolving it or confronting it, doubles and triples and quadruples and quintuples down on I'm not broken. That, that's not a zit on my face. 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 That's not a zit on my, you know what I'm saying? We all can see it. We all can see it. And then if finally enough people, it's the emperor has no clothes. We all know that he's naked, but nobody will dare say anything to him because they want a seat at the court. That's the issue. That's the issue. That's why we need James Robeson and these guys to stop hanging out with Trump and Paula White, but to look at Trump, do you guys believe if Paul were alive today, he would share an advisory council to the most powerful person in the world with a heretic like Paula White? Do you believe that? No. Aaron, you believe that? Uh, hell no. Hell no. Hell no. He would literally say hell no. Hell no. Because that's what doctrine she's preaching, the doctrine of hell. No. Call me when you get rid of her, because that'll show me you're actually serious about what I have to say. That's what Paul would say. Get rid of this child of the devil. And tell her to repent while she's at it, too. Because she's hellbound as well. That's what he would say. That's the issue. It's, it's not that, there are imper- that Trump's imperfect and he's surrounded by imperfect people. Or bad examples. We're all a bad example. We're all imperfect. It's that there's not a repentance. Nathan comes to the prophet. The prophet comes to, to David, Nathan, and says, Thou art the man. And instead of David repenting, No, I'm not. Well, here's video evidence. That's not me. Well, here's a tweet you said. I never said that. That's what he does. That's the issue here. Let's not, so let's not conflate issues. Let's not mix the metaphors here. Let's not cross the streams and realize the issue isn't isn't having a worldly champion for our faith. Anybody from this planet we would anoint would not be good enough. God sent us somebody not from this planet. planet. We killed him too, okay? The issue is Paul or, or Trump refuses any level of repentance or mercy on any level at all and thus compels you a lot of you therefore feel compelled that you must 100% full throat accept him for how he is or 100% full throat condemn him for how he is. And that's why the topic is so divisive. I'll give you guys the final word. Take as much time as you'd like. Todd, I'll start with you. Well, I think uh, within a 24-hour period of uh one another. I on a Sunday and a Monday, I had uh, conversations about Donald Trump. One at church with somebody who came up to me and said, oh, Donald Trump. It's you know, it's really turning around. It's great. And, and, and hold your horses. And then the next day, uh, on a, a long time acquaintance of mine, I just happened to uh, run into. Oh, Trump's absolutely nuts uh, and insane. Uh, yeah, well, hold on a second. Um, you you need to do that with your interior life as well. Um, On any given day, on any given issue, you can swing that uh, far in one direction, and perhaps rightly so, but if you stay there and you live there, uh, it is not uh, uh, Christ within you uh, that is uh, talking. Uh, you need to your your faith needs to be more nimble than that, and the way it can be nimble is by being forgiving. Uh, you know, a, a forgiving heart is open to the possibility uh, of a new day. Maybe this is you know, be be wise as serpents and innocent and doves uh, on this front, and also take. Donald Trump, the particular visage of Donald Trump, is just so distracting. You know people like Donald Trump, both in theory and in practice in your life. You you know the guy that you see that's just chain-smoking and all tatted up and looks terrifying and probably has some piercings, and all of a sudden one day you find out that this guy's a Christian, a legit, like, 
wants to talk about the Bible and given the chance. But he also tells you, you know, it's uncomfortable to hear his version of when he talks about the Bible because it's got a level of brokenness. That's not your level of broken, not level. We all, are, but it's a di- it's a different type. A different type. Type yep. makes you very very uncomfortable. Good, good. It it should. We we know these people. We know Donald Trump, um, and so don't obs- overly obsess about his particulars. That's a distraction. Uh, he is yet. Another flawed individual that happens to hold a position of power, uh, he he need not take your faith and bend it and twist it into a pretzel of non-understanding. You, you, you have all the understanding you need if you realize what Steve said. There is nothing new under the sun. This has been dealt with before. Aaron. I think what we talked about today has everything to do with the second worldview that we that we covered on the seven deadly worldviews, and that was uh, legalism. Because I think one of the main motivations of why why we see some of the responses to Trump's alleged and sometimes confirmed infidelity slash just overall brokenness is because this is a cliche but most if not all cliches are written are rooted in some degree of truth our elected leaders are reflections of us and it is as if god is holding up a huge cosmic mirror to christians in the united states saying look at you <laughs> look look at you and i think the propensity because of this mindset that we have to, uh, this expectation that we as christians have to look a certain way be a certain way and then when we see people that are really reflections of us our responses and they don't look that way but yet they're re- representing us our responses then to say well you know it, on 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 this hand then i guess this is okay what we are lacking is a true understanding of grace the 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 older i get and i'm still not very old but the older i get the more i thank god that it is only because of his grace that i have assurance of my salvation because if it was anything other than that, I know I would be headed straight to hell. I sin every day. I sin probably every hour. In fact, I probably sinned in the last 15 minutes um, in some way, shape, or form. What we, uh, what we lack is a fundamental, I think, misunderstanding of what grace is and how God uses it and how it manifests itself in our daily lives and in how we think about the world around us and how we view the world around us. And what we're seeing now for the last two years since Donald Trump has come onto the scene is we're seeing a reflection of that total misunderstanding of grace. I've, and this is not to say that we've got this all figured out either because we don't because we're trying to figure this out every freaking every every day as i alluded to in in the open of this podcast trying to navigate watching steve navigating how to find truth in this environment it's like i'm glad this is the steve day show not the aaron mcintyre show because i i mean i'm glad that he is he, he is able to do that but I, I again, it comes back to grace and a fundamental misunderstanding about what grace is and how how God uses that. A few years ago, though, I could not have done that. <laughs> you have a, you gave a key phrase there, my friend, when you said, "As I get older, as I get older, and not necessarily by age, but mature, more mature in my faith, I'm able to do this better." I still have a hard time doing it consistently or perfectly, but a few years ago, dude, I'd have gaslit. I'd have, I'd have gone full MC Hammer, turn this mother out. That's what I'd done. I, and you know it, Todd. I'd have gaslit all y'all a few years ago. 
we're gonna fire it up the Metallica, kill them all. Everyone's dead. That gif of Elmo and the flames behind him would have been my career. <laughs> You're laughing because you know it's true. It's absolutely true. And there are still plenty of days I want to do that. In my humanity, I want to do that. I can probably even justify it. When I'm getting better at, I didn't say perfect. I didn't even say good. What I'm getting better at is listening to the still, small voice, which often simply asks me this question. Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you want to do? Have you thought about what will happen next? And then when I don't listen to that voice, I, try, I nearly blow up my career like I did with the Fiorina thing a couple of years ago which taught me another humbling lesson to listen to that voice when it stops and says, are you sure? We have a president that won't listen to that voice. Doesn't even know it's there. And that's what makes him problematic. Because see, if he did listen to that voice, his behavior would change. You said it perfectly, Aaron. Do we understand grace? It is not because my behavior has changed that I have proven to you there is grace in my life. I can go to AA and make my behavior change just through 12 steps. It's because there's been grace in my life my behavior changes. It's different. There's a song we sing at our church. One of the lines is, when it talks about God's spirit, it says, changes what we see and what we seek. That's the issue with Trump. It's not his imperfections. It's his unwillingness to acknowledge them. So they just drink. He's like Danny DeVito in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, just going around like a random id. Hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. Hell, look at the Stormy Daniels thing. They put out two statements that are clearly two different signatures. They're clearly two different signatures. Because the guy has lived a life hell-bent on, on avoiding accountability, even divine accountability. Except ultimately, we don't avoid that. We will all perish. We will all stand naked and alone. Whether we have towers in Manhattan named after us, whether we slept at night or eight years of them in a White House, or whether we still are living in an outhouse, baby, or a jailhouse, we will stand naked and alone in front of our creator, and so will Donald Trump. We are doing him a disservice by praising him when he clearly does wrong and by continuing to hold grudges against him when he clearly is doing right. For the same Paul that would say, hell no, I'm not going to serve on a council with a heretic like Paula White, would also say, well done, good and faithful servant for protecting the First Amendment religious freedoms of God's people. That's Romans 13. You are a minister of God's justice. Well done. That's the model we're going to have to follow. That means we have to get out of our tribes. Get out of your Cheeto Jesus, he's God's anointed tribe. And get out of your, he's terrible, he's a blight on human civilization, can never do any good, tribe. A pox on both your houses. Thanks for watching on CRTV and listening to us today on Westwood One. I think that's a good place to end it. Pox on both your houses. I like that as a closing line. What do you think, Todd? Well, yeah. You, you, Elmo's on fire again. <laughs> 10 out of <laughs> to, 10 would use again. To show that I'm, to show that maybe I have a better understanding of what grace is, a pox on both your houses. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. Steve Dace. I like it, you.